0: Welcome to the Waste Not What Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author, and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news, and tips to rebuild the relationship between people and the planet the way nature intended by revitalizing our natural resources, minimizing waste, and maximizing human potential. I trust you'll discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future so you can cultivate and transform them to suit your own lifestyle in order for us to collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philiporos.com And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. Hello Wastebusters, welcome to episode 29. Well, here we are at the beginning of July with half the year behind us. It's also my birthday month and a time for me to reflect on the past year and make bold plans for the future. In looking back, I'm pretty bloody proud of this podcast and the wonderful opportunities I've had to talk to such a diverse range of people who are focusing on conscious lifestyles to make the most of their natural resources and boost the health of people and the planet. With that in mind, I'm asking my lovely guests and you, delicious listeners to nominate me as an sustainability superstar in the New Zealand Sustainable Business Network Awards. It's someone who week on week brings a broad range of options to create a more sustainable future for the health of people and the planet. I'd be grateful if you'd do me the honour and use the link in the show notes to nominate me. My guest this week is Mike Buddle from Keep New Zealand Beautiful, a not-for-profit organisation who's sustained their efforts for 55 years to eradicate litter and beautify the country. Talking of litter, July is also renowned for being the month to go plastic free. It's a great opportunity to make a pact with yourself to take your own litter home. The latest litter intelligence survey from sustainable coastlines here in New Zealand revealed food and drink containers and wrappers to be the most prevalent waste and sadly hard plastic fragments like those found in the stomachs of albatross chicks being the worst culprits. Images of young albatross that died of starvation after swallowing a whole plastic bottle made a big impact on people's views about plastic bottles. And to push the message home, a full-scale sculpture was created by Greenpeace to drive their campaign to ban the bottle. A petition with over a hundred thousand signatures was delivered to government on Thursday, the 30th of June, calling on them to make a ban on single-use plastic bottles and incentivise reusable and refillable alternatives. Talking of albatross, a donation page has been created to raise funds for a bronze sculpture of Robert Webb to honour a lifetime of volunteer work at the Whangarei Native Bird Recovery Centre. Robert helped change the way people around the country viewed our native birds after releasing an albatross back to the wild in 2005 and then dedicated his time to helping birds. There's a link in the show notes if you'd like to contribute. Albatross are a sign of freedom, strength and hope. A reminder to protect and respect our resources as nature, like the albatross, will help us navigate our way to a more conscious way of living. Conscious decisions by Panama and Colombia made a big impact at the United Nations Ocean Conference in Brazil last week. They both increased their pledges to protect 30% of the ocean by 2030. Panama are leading the way, having reached the goal last year and have new plans to protect 40% before 2024. Colombia are creating four new marine reserves, extending their pledge to 37% of its native waters. Both are part of the Eastern Tropical Pacific Movement, proving a collaborative approach with local scientists, activists, conservation partners and citizens has a resounding impact on the kind of world we want to create. There's more good news for the ocean from Pulau, Vanuatu, Tuvalu, Fiji, Tonga and Samoa who are all calling for a moratorium on seabed mining. Sadly the silence from New Zealand government speaks volumes so a petition is doing the rounds to spur them on to speak up and support a global ban. You can also find that in the show notes. And great news for Adelie penguins in the Windmill Islands region of East Antarctica. Seabed conservation ecologist Dr Colin Southwell has just released long-term research that shows a six-fold increase of the breeding population from 30,000 pairs to almost 200,000. With such an increase in numbers, I sincerely hope there's enough food to go around so all the chicks make it through the winter. One very good reason for Camlar to up their game this October and grant marine protection to the area something that's been on the table for the past six years at least. It's about time they took a stand and stuck to the premise the organisation was originally set up for in 1982, which was to conserve marine life. A serious shift is needed away from supporting corporation greed for krill to honouring all marine life. Momentum is gathering in stores around New Zealand to support the recycling of goods, TerraCycle New Zealand have teamed up with the warehouse countrywide from now until the 26th of July to recycle toys including plush toys, plastic toys, metal toys, electronic toys with batteries removed and broken toys. All the materials will be sorted and the plastic given a second life in products like benches, picnic tables and even playgrounds. Bunnings are now having battery collection points at the front of their stores for household single-use and rechargeable batteries. It's advised you place tape over the terminals before depositing them. And the final news this week is about the Right to Repair campaign urging manufacturers to take responsibility for their goods and provide information and outlets for goods to be repaired. The petition closes on Wednesday the 6th of July, so make sure you sign it and support. Let's hope this momentum behind all the positive action is sustained, like Keep New Zealand Beautiful, that's been running for 55 years. I'm joined this week by Mike Buddle, who recently became involved with this iconic organisation. He explains what they have and will be doing to keep the clean, green image New Zealand has in the forefront of people's minds. Welcome to the show, Mike. It's lovely to have you with me. And Mike is from Keep New Zealand Beautiful, and I know it's been going 55 years, but I really don't know who actually started it and why it was started. Can you enlighten us?
1: Hey, g'day, Philippa. Thanks for having me on. Keep New Zealand Beautiful. Yes, 50, fifty-five years. We were originally incorporated as the uh, Anti-Litter Council uh, as part of a government campaign back in the day, in nineteen sixty-seven. We have become a not-for-profit, and we have changed the name from the Anti-Litter Council to Keep New Zealand Beautiful. Keep New Zealand Beautiful has a lot to do with uh, anti-litter in New Zealand, but we're also gravitating towards uh, working against biodiversity loss and other pollution. Issues as well, Uh, we're building into citizen science campaigns as well to try and get some good data and help affect uh, good policy in in this country uh, around litter and sustainability.
0: So what does citizen science mean?
1: Uh, So citizen science is data that's collected by volunteers around the country. So our citizen science programs include uh, upstream battle and uh, backyard battle. So as they imply, the upstream battle is about tackling and cataloging waste and litter streams uh, that are upstream. So in waterways and rivers uh, that flow towards the sea, knowing that a huge amount of marine litter, about 80% of it originates from land in the first place. Wow. Huge amount of it. So yes, coming back to that, citizen science is having a rigorous application of data controls, I suppose. So anyone who goes in and participates in our upstream battle would be collecting litter in a very specific area, a very well-defined area, um, but cataloguing it very carefully as well. So in terms of when they're collecting it, what types of litter they're collecting, uh, even down to the brands of litter that they're collecting as well. The point of this as well is that we repeat the uh, citizen science uh, collections uh, right. on a regular basis in that particular area to sort of identify trends in litter right. and to help build a map, for want of a better word, of how litter is uh, a being deposited, but also being washed out to sea uh, by various waterways around the country.
0: So that's all around the country, and is it a new thing or has it been going for a while?
1: It is a new programme for us. Um, Our citizen science has only launched this year, although it has been some time in the making. It does feed into our national litter audit, which is a a very rigorous audit of litter, as it's implied. Uh, That was last conducted in 2019 by a team of researchers who travelled the country. We're actually undertaking that national litter audit this year again, so it is due every three years. Again, building on developing trends and and being able to see patterns of how litter is being deposited and how it's evolving or being tackled or how the problem's increasing as well in certain areas, just to give us a good ideas of that. So yes, our citizen science programmes feed into that data as well by having the same rigorous standards but having volunteers from around the country so we can get a much larger data set.
0: Do you know if there are any trends? Is it on the up or is there hope?
1: (laughs) It's a tricky one. I mean, New Zealand's population is obviously increasing and uh, there's a lot of pollution out there. But conversely, there's a lot of awareness of pollution and litter issues in New Zealand. We'd like to think Kiwis are generally a very conscious group of people as a whole. some interesting statistics do come out of the the national little audits. For example, nappies, disposable nappies were some of the highest volume of item collected, which was quite a surprising outcome as such.
0: When you say that, it reminded me, gosh, how many, well, it was actually before I emigrated to New Zealand. I went to Fiji and there was a high proportion of disposable nappies on the beaches in Fiji. And I just couldn't get over how people could just dump literally shit around the place, well, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, isn't it, really?
1: And, uh, I mean, disposable nappies are actually a, a very good example. Um, not only would the uh, did our National Little Audit uh, tell us that uh, it made up of quite a large volume of the waste that was collected of, but we'd find it in some really odd places as well. Our researchers would find it on motorway on-ramps, for example. I mean, who takes the time to dispose of a disposable nappy on an on-ramp? These are, I guess, some of the interesting points that we got from it, and it it helps us understand the behaviour of those who litter.
0: (laughs) So what have you concluded as far as people's behaviour is concerned?
1: We haven't really made a conclusion about that one, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, talking about the National Litter Order, I mean, um, beverage containers uh, make up about 66% of uh, the recognisable branded litter that was collected. And most of that will be glass containers and cans as well. It's all very recyclable as well. And it's an awful shame that a lot of this is discarded rather than recycled, especially when the facilities do exist for it.
0: Absolutely. So you're fairly new to this, aren't you? Because the organisation is 55 years old, but you've only been with the organisation for six months. What inspired you to be part of
1: it? I believe in the ethos of Keep New Zealand Beautiful. You know, New Zealand does have a clean, green image. I mean, whether that's rightly deserved or not, but you do buy into that as a cue and you have a lot of pride around that as well. I've, I've worked in the charity sector for some time and the organisation really appealed to me and the work that they do. The volunteers from around the country who put in the amazing amounts of time and mahi of their own to really do exactly what the organisation's name is, is Keep New Zealand Beautiful.
0: And that's what I love about it. Although the focus is on a cleaning up, I think a huge part of where we're at at this time in history is there's a lot to clear up and understand about behaviours in the past, but actually it's about creating a new mindset for people. And I love the fact that the focus is on the keeping it beautiful because we have that clean green image, as you say, that's questionable as to whether it's actually the reality of it's true. And it's like a lot of countries all over the world. But what would you say is the important thing to try and get people to think about? You did bring something up about, you know, throwing recyclable stuff out of the window, obviously. So there's that side of things. I mean, to me, it's quite simple. If you've got rubbish, keep it and take it home and dispose of it responsibly. Is there anything else that you can add to that?
1: I mean, that would be a great thing, wouldn't it? Every every single person in New Zealand just disposes of every every bit of litter they have responsibly. You're right. I, I think it's a huge mindset change for some people. You know, you may have someone who's gone out on their night out and they're, um, they've gone for a, a feed at a fast food joint and they just don't think about what happens to their litter when they throw it out the window. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, other folk who, who think they're doing the right thing in terms of trying to dispose of of non-recyclable items in their recycling, but it actually may clog up a recycling facility later down the line. And so, I mean, you know, there's a lot of education that can still be passed on to Kiwis around the country. As I said, I believe a lot of Kiwis do take being clean and green to heart. It's just knowing exactly how. I think a lot of Kiwis are quite familiar with the three R's, the, the reduce, the reuse and recycle. Um, You know, simple steps can yield some great results as well, like buying in bulk, having water and energy efficient appliances and rolling back around to this nappy example, having cloth nappies, for example. Yeah, yeah. we do so with our toddlers, not always glamorous or an enjoyable process cleaning them, but we do save an incredible amount on disposable nappies in in terms of the volume of waste and uh, our wallets, saving money in our wallets as well my
0: daughters do you know done the same thing my grandchildren are 4 and 2 now but it's also not to get to stress yourself out that it has to be 24/7 you could be having a weekend away and you don't have facilities or washing machines and things like that it's like give yourself a break it's it's okay not to do it 100% the whole thing is a process and it's just creating that awareness really isn't it
1: I agree, yes. I mean, if any reduction or reuse or recycle is is a process, it's a mindset shift for some. Yeah, like you say, giving yourself a time out if you needed to, just doing your absolute best and actually putting your mind into it, really. Rethinking how you go about treating the environment is is something that we're hoping to help shape in the future as well, not only with our citizen science programmes, but we do have behaviour change programmes in the works as well. Oh, cool. Um,
0: Do you know anything about what that involves? Because my recent guest, Nick Turner from Mainstream Green, she was in a fast consumption business. And so, you know, she was encouraging people to buy more. And in the last 12 years, she's had her own journey and now she's encouraging people to buy less. So it is that consumerism and it is stopping to think about things. So I'm interested, you know, about is there anything you know about the programme when it's coming up or what it involves?
1: I wish I could share details at the moment, but, yeah, nothing (laughs) set in stone just at this point, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) Oh, watch this space. Excellent. it just goes to prove that everybody's working on the same premise really and they've recognized the same thing so it's all gathering momentum which is cool
1: we've got programs to um, get information into schools uh, you know from eces through to high school as well cool. uh, through our championing of the uh, young reporters for the environment as well uh, that's a global competition that uh, we've had a, a A huge number of students across the gamut in New Zealand do really well at, actually. We've got some finalists uh, for for this global competition. Uh, Yeah, through to a kai garden competition, which he ran recently, which encourages uh, schools of all denominations, all levels, uh, to build edible gardens, to sort of encourage their students to participate in, in growing, harvesting, and sharing the kai that they harvest.
0: Yeah, it doesn't just come in a container from the supermarket, which for some, you know, city dwellers, it's hard to imagine, because I was brought up on a farm as well, it's hard to imagine that people don't even think about where it comes from.
1: I was growing up uh, in a small city, but uh, I'm still nonetheless very much a city dweller. And I envy the folks who've lived on farms and seen where their food comes from, especially around animals and, and the like as well. Yeah, it's all not neatly packaged and ready to go for you at the supermarket. There's a lot of good organisations around the country who take items from the supermarket that aren't perfect in terms of have blemishes, especially around fruit and vegetables, and are otherwise perfectly fine, but don't meet the strenuous, I suppose, supermarket guidelines. And there's a lot of good groups out there who take this imperfect fruit, so to speak, and uh, turn it into meals for those who need it. But, yeah, I believe if everyone had grown up on a farm, they'd know that not all fruit is is perfect. Everything has blemishes, but it's all still perfectly fine.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Imagine if we treated humans. Well, we're kind of doing it to a certain degree. You know, it's like we've all actually, as humans, got blemishes. You know, if we disregarded everybody who wasn't perfect, there is that perfect image that so many are aspiring to. But actually, the beauty is in the point of difference, really, isn't it?
1: Absolutely.
0: doesn't take away the essence of the person. Any other R's that are important?
1: Well, yeah, like I said, everyone's probably quite uh, familiar with the three R's, reduce, reuse and recycle. Uh, it depends who you talk to. You can uh, have up to five or even nine R's. Oh, yeah, some of the other ones might include uh, refusing, refusing packaging, refusing a product if you don't need it. So that's about reducing your consumption in general repurposing so having an item and being able to upcycle it taking something as simple as a coffee tin or jars and using it as storage or uh even these amazing jib alternatives uh that use ground up tetra packs uh, yeah, turning yeah. it into plasterboard effectively for the building trade i mean
0: Yeah, he's done very well with that safe ball there. They did a GoFundMe thing recently and it's really taken off, isn't it? And again, I think the beauty of all this is actually creating a community of people and it's a network and everybody knows. Because one of my earlier episodes was with Gareth Hughes, who's involved with AFRA, which is the Food Rescue Alliance. And it's really connecting all these people together. And there's also a chap Mutu, involved with the circular economy with the Sustainable Business Network, and they are creating a database of businesses that have got stuff in their warehouse that, A, they've probably forgotten what's in there, but it allows them to put it out there so there may be another company down the way or nearby who has a need for it. And so it's not sitting there wasted. And that Mm -hmm. is the thing. It's actually bringing everything together. And repurposing it really isn't it? Absolutely. I've got one here. I think we touched on it earlier, rethinking. And for me, a big part of that it links in with the refusing is before you buy something to consciously stop and say, okay, how much need do I have for this? How long is it going to last me? And that goes into the repairing side of things, which is a big campaign around. And also, mm. once you finish with it, how are you going to get rid of it? And also, you know, again, this community I'm talking about, there are communities who have a collective of people who share equipment, be it lawnmowers or it could be hand tools. It could be anything, really. So there's no need for a neighbourhood to have 50 lawnmowers if you decide collectively that you might have 10 and everybody's responsible for the upkeep of it, and it just cuts down the production of everything to begin with and collective responsibility as well, I think.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, all all these R's that we talk about, like reduce, reuse, recycle, uh, refuse, repurpose and the like, they all hinge on the afterlife of a product, I suppose, whereas Rethink really comes back to thinking about it right up front uh, and having in mind but even before you buy or if you buy about what's going to happen to this particular item. And yeah, I love the idea of groups of people forming a, a collective to use something as, uh, you know, reduce the number of lawnmowers, for example, something that a lot of people just assume they have to have in the garage as opposed to whether they actually do need it. Yeah, also forming a, a, a kind of a repair mindset as well in terms yeah. of all sorts of items, you know, from the clothing that gets a hole in it can be repaired with a few stitches through to yeah, your lawnmower that could be re-serviced and, and rebuilt as such.
0: There's a lot of repair cafes popping up all over the place, you know. And because I'm of old school and cars are mechanically but now everything's electric and so some of us have got the older cars and really knowing the inner workings of machinery and things like that and knowing how to pull it apart and put it back together again again it's that changing that mindset of well it no longer works so it's actually cheaper for me to get rid of it and to buy something new. And I think there's a campaign that they're presenting it to the environment minister about responsibility for manufacturers to create things with longevity and also to have facilities and access to information as to where it can be repaired and who can repair it and where you can get the parts, blah, 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 blah.
1: Yeah, fantastic. I guess a lot of this actually tends to be consumer driven as well. I mean, I'm just thinking of Apple, for example, who have recently been forced to allow servicing of their, their cell phones in a, in a much easier way or their iPads and their, their iPhones. Um, because previously, if you cracked the screen in it, you had to send it back to a particular reseller and, and spend an awful lot of money, whereas now Apple is being encouraged by the law to provide tools to be able for people to be able to fix it themselves to repair it themselves and not treat cell phones for example as a disposable item but as something that can be repaired and rebuilt and that's only a small well, I mean it's a huge example but it's quite yeah. a, a narrow example but yeah I think a lot of consumers really want to repair uh, items that they have there's a, a massive shift away from a relatively disposable culture that we might have seen 30, 40 years ago or or yep. longer, or even more recently as well. Yeah. And I think people globally, but also specifically in New Zealand, are trying their best to think ahead, to recognise that uh, climate change is, is predicated on all, all these actions. As simple as repairing something rather than throwing it out does make a difference. Mm.
0: So another one is I know from one a general list is um rot, which is compost. And there's a lot of good composting workshops and things happening around the place. And again, that's important because it goes back to what you put back in the soil affects the food. And it's a whole cycle of things as well. And also a lot of companies, even so far as posting is concerned, you know, it's yeast, it's compostable materials that they're sending stuff out in now.
1: I've read a, a statistic that in Auckland, half of what uh, is sent to landfill could be composted, oh, which wow. is, yes. So according to the Compost Collective, uh, half of what is sent to landfill in Auckland could actually be composted, uh, which is a, really quite a scary statistic, really. So it's, um, and I dare say a lot of uh, apartment dwellers and people in the inner city of Auckland may not have easy ways to home compost. So from what I gather, the Compost Collective uh, have community uh, composting areas, at least where people can bring food scrap and uh, help enrich the soil for the future rather than just throwing things out into landfill. The Keep New Zealand Beautiful Kai Garden Competition, that's part of it in terms of building an edible garden, but also thinking about what happens afterwards as well and about returning these nutrients back to the the soils of the very garden that's being uh, created as well. Mm
0: got any others up your sleeve that will uh, help us any other R's. R's? we don't be- <laughs> have to begin with an r it's just we're so- <laughs> it,
1: it does make it uh, easier to remember sometimes but there's yes. an awful lot of them isn't there mm-hmm. <laughs> So re-gifting is another good way of repurposing as well. Uh, op shops around the country do an amazing job at this. Uh, I've, I've picked up many a grand item from an op shop in the past. It's been uh, discarded by somebody who thinks a small rip or a small um, imperfection or even just regular wear isn't cutting it anymore for them. Mm. But rather than throwing it out, they've actually bothered and taken the effort to, to take it to an op shop. A good condition thing, of course, because... Having worked with charities that have owned op shops in the past, you do see an awful lot of uh, rubbish that gets dumped, unfortunately. But the stuff that's good, the stuff that can be reused and resold or re-gifted, it also makes a dent on our environmental impact.
0: Mm. one of the things i do with gifting again you know talking birthdays and christmas is a big one is that i collect scarves and things like that so i can do the japanese i haven't quite mastered the art i can't remember what it's called now the japanese wrapping with material basically you can make it look really fantastic
1: beautiful and unique little gift isn't it well it's a gift (laughs) in and
0: of itself as well So what sort of um, other charitable organisations have you worked for?
1: Previously, I've worked for a search and rescue charity. I've worked for an animal charity. Had a lot of fun with all of them. It feels good to be doing good work rather than chasing a dollar, which in a previous life I've also worked with businesses that have solely chased a dollar. Yeah. Uh, sometimes to the detriment of the environment or sometimes just the detriment of people, I dare say. So yeah, it's great to actually work with charities to help uh, effect a decent change on the planet.
0: So something incredibly rewarding for self when you're making a contribution is very fulfilling.
1: And there's a lot of good volunteers out there. Most charities couldn't uh, exist without the volunteer base that they have. Mm-hmm. And Keep New Zealand Beautiful is exactly one of those as well. We have thousands of volunteers across dozens of branches uh, around New Zealand who organise their own uh, cleanups, their own litter pickups, their own beautification activities. We simply couldn't do what we do without their really diligent output or input as well.
0: Is there anything that if people want to get involved, how can they help the organisation?
1: Yeah, we'd love to have anyone who's wanting to contribute their time and energy to volunteering with Keep New Zealand Beautiful. It can be as little as a few hours a month or it can be as much as as you want. You could turn it into your own full time hobby if you'd like. We have branches across the country who organise cleanups, who organise beautification activities within their communities. But yeah, if you'd like to know more, jump onto our website or search for Keep New Zealand Beautiful, and we can put you in touch with your local groups. Uh, we also have a cleanup week and our um, upstream battle, backyard battle. Uh, citizen science projects that you can get involved in, they're very similar to a cleanup. There's a bit more uh, rigorous data keeping and cataloguing that you'd need to do with that. We've had some amazing responses to those programs already. We've had Probably about a dozen schools from around the country, even though the programme has only been live for a little over a month, we've had probably a dozen groups of students who have all conducted their own upstream battle projects, collecting and analysing litter and getting that information back to us so we can help build a bigger database and hopefully influence policy and bigger decisions in the future.
0: So on a personal level because you've also been involved in so many charities and things like that, it's in your nature. Is there a book or a person that has influenced you in your life?
1: Within the environmental sphere, it would definitely be uh, Sir David Attenborough. I mean, who who could go past that amazing chap for uh, all the awareness uh, that he's brought to the natural world? Yeah, just how he's passionate, his uh, enthusiasm for a a topic that for many years was overlooked. Um, The natural world was kind of put in second place to the corporate world. And he has spent decades bringing it to the forefront and really being an inspiration to many people. Mm. Um, Yeah, he'd be one person who's really influenced my desire, especially to work for Keep New Zealand Beautiful, but also to really try and make a difference uh, where I can in this sphere.
0: I'd really love to interview him as well. He's on my list (laughs) (laughs)
1: please do
0: (laughs) big dreams big dreams
1: (laughs) I hope you pull it off you'd be amazing wouldn't it oh
0: absolutely (laughs) yes yes so just putting it out there everybody
1: (laughs) out to the universe (laughs)
0: Thank thank you so do you have any particular quotes or anything that keep you inspired
1: Uh, A particular quote that's actually kind of relevant to um, what we've just been talking about was from an activist and a a musician in the the US uh, from a few years ago. Uh, His name's Pete Seeger. He wrote, if it can't be reduced, reused, repaired, rebuilt, refurbished, resold, recycled or composted, it should be restricted, redesigned or removed from production. So chatting about all we've done about the uh, three R's, the five R's, Pete really covered all these off and basically said, if you can't design for the future, you shouldn't be making it. And I'd love to see more of that happen across the world, to be honest.
0: Interesting, because that was exactly the same quote that one of my guests from Junk Run in Auckland did um, at one of my earlier interviews it's great when you have these questions because you can see a pattern in people's lives and what's influenced you and the way trends are going and things are like. yeah fascinating i did listen
1: to the junk for an interview actually but i must have missed the quote being read out that was a fascinating group that you had a chat with there so
0: yeah well it's just a small world because Dave Knight who's involved with the building he was actually one of the customers because I work at a local liquor store and he came in and we were talking and he said oh we do this and it's like you just never know what's actually on your doorstep you know so (laughs) it's that a good old fashioned conversation that brings things out
1: that's amazing isn't it
0: (laughs) so what do you do if you're having a funk how do you get yourself out of
1: a funk um yes if I ever get into a funk well I've got a couple of ways of getting out and about I'm very lucky to live near the Waitakere Ranges so uh, I do get out for a bit of a stroll through nature and uh yeah I try and get out with uh, like-minded people as well so uh folks who have done cleanups in the past you know I'll go out and join them on a cleanup I'll go for a hike with folks who uh Avid birdwatchers, for example. So I can learn something while getting out of my phone. But yeah, getting into nature and getting out with like minded people really both bring me up.
0: That's fascinating because a lot of people do talk about the nature thing, but because my background is in psychology. And one of the important things for feeling fulfilled is actually about the people that you are around and how they influence you and having a connection is really important and the like-minded so so many people when you sit back and reflect it's that how many people in their lives are not inspiring them because they're not like-minded or whatever or draining their energy or not infusing it with along the same way so it just reiterates how important that aspect is
1: Mm. absolutely and yeah like you say getting energy off people is very important finding that energy that gels with you is really important as well
0: and it's that insatiable thirst for more knowledge as well because the more you discover the more you discover you don't know
1: It's <laughs> a mighty big world isn't it <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly so if I was your fairy godmother and would allow you to change one thing in the world what would it be and why
1: no oh. If you could change one thing in the world, crikey! Well, I think again related to this conversation, that being where we are, uh, we do notice a lot of like climate anxiety and climate denials as well. If I could change one thing in the world, it'd be this sort of sense of climate anxiety that seems to pervade a lot of people at the moment. You know, a lot of people can get quite down and worried about the environment. So a lot of doom and gloom all the time. Yeah, there's a lot worry about in the climate and justly so as well but uh, often climate anxiety can create such anxieties that people shut down people who are very good at helping tend to shut down i'd love to see people who want the best for the world to keep being spurred to be inspired and to be spurred to take action
0: family motto is hope lightens difficulties and i think one of the big things when you look at The likes of David Attenborough and Jane Gouldall, they're both my heroes. You look at the decades that they've been working, but they've never lost hope. They continue to believe in things. And ultimately, without humans, climate is changing anyway. But it's also to stop and think about how we are influencing or exacerbating their change is speeding up. So the only way to stop the anxiety, and this is with my psychological background as well, is to shift your focus on doing something yourself that's actually going to make a difference. So I think that's the important thing with this podcast and with everything that people are doing, and like yourself and all the volunteers, knowing that within these groups of like-minded people, we're creating such an energy of hope and we can build the future that we want. We all love nature and I don't know anybody who in any of the questions I ask never mentions nature and so it's in our hearts and so it's really about enacting that. I think it's the most beautiful thing and it doesn't matter where you are in the world is to recognise that and keep it beautiful.
1: Very nice. I totally agree. I think there's a lot of doom and gloom out there and it's very easy to end up in that whirlpool of worry and climate anxiety. But there are so many like-minded people who are taking really good action all the way and really putting their mind to helping uh, solve the problems of today uh, for our future.
0: Exactly. On that note, thank you so much for your time, Mike. It's been absolutely fantastic. Take care.
1: A real yes. pleasure. Thank you very much, Philippa. You're
0: welcome. Bye. Be sure to check out the Keep New Zealand Beautiful website to see how you can get involved and make sure you're doing something on a daily basis to reduce the amount of plastic you use throughout July and hopefully beyond. Next week, I'm joined by Auckland builder Nigel Benton, who's been in the industry for 44 years. I'm asking him how and why he took on the challenge to develop eight terrace houses without the use of a skip cutting construction waste by a whopping 90%. And just so you don't suffer from FOMO, ensure you follow or subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform, be it Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Samsung Podcasts or my YouTube channel, so you don't miss out on future episodes. And don't forget to get in touch if you have a subject or guest you'd like me to consider. My email is info at So until next week, dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential.